If you have a Bible, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 20 is where we'll be tonight. 2 Corinthians 5 is turning into one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And so last Sunday, I was already looking forward to tonight, waiting for direction from the Lord as to where He would have me to go. And as I sat on the front row and listened to Miss Bridget, Sing last Sunday morning, I watched her. And as she was singing, I noticed she was singing to the Lord, but she was pleading with us. I saw it in her face, I saw it in her eyes, and instantly the Lord brought this text to my mind. And what I've realized since then is that the Lord has a word for us concerning our focus as a church. Uh, Tonight we're preaching on this subject. Building a kingdom focus. A kingdom focus. What is it that we're focused on in our day-to-day? What are we focused on? Now, if we're going to build a kingdom focus, that obviously means that we have to change our thinking because uh, uh, as the Scripture states, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so unless we begin to think on the kingdom, we'll certainly never be kingdom focused. And so let's allow the Word of God to grip our hearts and change our minds and begin to focus on the kingdom of God. Notice verse number 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Heads bowed, eyes closed, we're praying. Again, preaching on this subject tonight, building a kingdom focus. Our Father, I thank you again for the privilege to preach your word. God, I thank you now, God, for the, just the opportunity, God, to God, proclaim truth. And God, I acknowledge, God, I am insufficient in myself. God, there's nothing good in me. God, but your spirit lives in my heart. And so, God, I pray tonight that, God, you do your work. God, I realize for whatever reason, God, there seems to be a battle already in my mind. And so, God, I pray that in this moment, that God, you'd suppress everything that wants to hinder. Now, God, I ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit of God to remove everything that would take away from you tonight. God, I pray for our church. God, I love them. You love them much more than any of us could ever love them. And so, God, I pray that the things that you've poured into my mind God, and into my heart, God, will be beneficial to them tonight. And that, God, they'll move forward for the glory of God. Now, Lord, if there's one here tonight who's lost, never been saved, God, I pray as we preach through this text tonight, that, God, they'll sense the Spirit of God convicting their heart. And that, God, you'll bring them to a place, God, of understanding that they are a sinner in need of salvation. And that Christ became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Father, we love You. We give You all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Romans 8, 5 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So I ask you tonight, what's your mind on? Have you ever noticed how it's hard for this generation to stay focused? We live in a HD society. Everything in super sharp color, 
moving at a rapid rate, everything always on the move all the time. Uh, but yet for many, the colors just seem to run together and very few are able to stay focused on what's most important. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes or no? Concerning the kingdom of God, it's no different. In fact, it's more intense because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, friend. We are in a battle and it starts right here. And so as we begin tonight, I want to say to you, you do know Paul said we ought to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so there's a war that wages in the mind that no one else ever sees. And so as we begin, I want to be very straight. I want to be very plain. I know what I'm fixing to say is confrontational. But I want you to hear my heart. I've not come to beat you up tonight. I've come to help you and build you up, okay? And so listen to what I'm going to say. It's quite evident that many in our church have lost their focused. May not be you individually, but it may be. And you say, Brother Shane, what are you talking about? Well, friend, listen. It was announced from the pulpit a couple, last Sunday, matter of fact, last Sunday, that we were going to go door to door canvassing for vacation Bible school. Now, I've already told you, I've asked you to hear my heart, Okay. On Monday night, we show up here and there are six people here. I understand there are some who have to work late. There are many who, who could not be here. There are many who, uh, obviously for reasons outside of their control, they could not stand the heat, whatever the case may be. I get all that. I get all that. But friend, we're talking about the biggest event of the year, the one where we make the most impact in our community. Friend, we've lost our focus. Now hear my heart, church, hear my heart. You've got to understand, you've got to understand something right here. We're asking for you to give one hour of your time on a Monday night to go door to door, to go to the ballpark, to pass out an invitation. Now, friend, you said Brother Shane had other obligations. As I've already stated, I understand that. But we have got to come to a place where we realize what's most important. We've got to get focused. And so as we begin to think about being focused, I want you to notice right here what the great Apostle Paul does. Look at what he says in verse number 20. He says, Now then, my first point tonight is simply this, the package. When Paul says, now then, it's as if he's drawing a great bundle up and setting it in front of these Corinthians before he makes a huge statement. He is about to make one colossal statement and before he does it, he, it's as if he wraps everything up in a bundle and he sets it in front of them and he says, now then... So what's all in this package, if you will, this great bundle of things that the Apostle Paul has communicated prior to this statement? Well, notice, if you'll turn back one chapter into chapter number 4, look at verses 1 through 6 with me. And there he begins to talk about 
first our illumination unto salvation. Do you understand? The devil once had you blinded, but then thank God one day the Holy Ghost turned the switch on. And though you once were blind, now you see. Every believer in the building tonight has had that happen at one point in time. Now look at verse number 6 of first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 6. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friend, listen, Motel 6 may keep the light on, but Jesus put his light in you, amen? He did. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Hillcrest Baptist Church needs to have its light lit so bright that everybody in Lebanon can see the glory of God shining from this little hill. That's what we're talking about tonight. Our illumination unto salvation. You know, there's some folks out there just waiting. They're just waiting for the Lord to flip the switch on, but they got to hear the gospel before He'll do it. Do you understand? The gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. And when you speak the gospel, you speak life, and the Spirit of God jumps into the heart of man and will flip the switch on and bring them to a place of knowledge unto salvation. And so Paul, he's speaking about their illumination unto salvation. But secondly, notice he moves from salvation unto suffering. And very quickly in those verses that follow, uh, Paul, he, he begins to pour out his heart here, speaking of his own suffering. Now I want you to realize tonight the primary focus of the Apostle Paul was souls. It was souls, man. He would go house to house, city to city, proclaiming the gospel focused on one thing that was reaching the lost. He said, I've become all things to all people that by all means, any means, I might win some. Now let me ask you something. Have you went that far uh, so as to say that about yourself? Man, it's just about winning somebody to Jesus. You know what it cost the Apostle Paul? Everything. He suffered often. In verse number 8, he said, We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. In the building tonight, most of us are not suffering. Certainly not to that extent. Some are for the reasons out of their own control. You may be sick, may be dealing with something that we don't know of. You may be suffering in that aspect and still there are others who are suffering of their own fault. Wouldn't you agree? Whether you agree or not, that's just the truth. And so here's what I've realized in this situation that we're speaking of from suffering for your own fault. Friend, listen. Many times we create our own problems, do we not? We create our own problems in here at Hillcrest Baptist Church. I just want to be plain with you, man. Uh, there's a whole lot of times when we do that, the devil then takes that and gets our mind focused on everything but souls. And so here's what I want to say to you tonight. Leave your drama to your mama and let's get focused on souls. Now remember what Paul's doing right here. He's drawing everything up in a bundle, right? He's drawing his bundle up. He's going to sit it in front of them and say, Now then, 
So notice here, he's he's still in chapter 4. He's moving now from suffering. In verse 16, he starts talking about staying faithful. Verse 15, back up there, one verse, chapter number 4. He says, For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working, listen, for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now Paul's beginning to speak about things that are out of this world. He's going into chapter number 5 and he looks forward to two realities in the future. Number one, we are going to be with Jesus. As a believer in Christ, there's no question we are going to be with Jesus. Verse number 1 of chapter 5, he says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. And notice on down, he says, If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but first their clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by, by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Brother Mike talked about that this morning, having the guarantee of the Holy Ghost in your heart. Friend, when God says it, we can stand on it. There's no question. We have the Spirit of God. He has sealed us under the day of redemption. We are going to be with Jesus. In fact, verse number 8, he says, Well, we're confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul bringing us a reality. We're going to be with Jesus. But secondly, we are going to be judged by Jesus. As he goes into verse number 9 and 11, he talks about that. He says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Paul talking about the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 12, he, he speaks of this. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day would declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as the, so as through fire. Church, I just want to ask you something tonight. If today were your last day and you stood before Jesus today, what would you have when the fire of refinement is through? Would you have silver, gold, precious stones, or would you have nothing but wood, hay, and stubble, and your britches smoking as you stand before Jesus? Friend, I don't want to be that Christian who gets to heaven and I have nothing to offer the King. 
I don't want to be the one who shows up with empty hands. I want to be able to stand before the Lord and present Him something that was built upon the very foundation that He left here. We're building a kingdom focus. As Paul goes into verse number 12, notice what he says. He says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you. He's speaking of his own commendation. He says, But give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. He has already mentioned that in chapter 3, verse number 1. We'll speak more to that in just a minute. But basically, here's what he is saying. I don't have to tell you, you know what kind of man I am. That's what Paul's putting out here. You've seen it with your own eyes. You can tell the difference between me and those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Now, let's just be honest tonight, friends. Can we be honest with each other? I mean, we're in the house of God. We ought to build things on the truth of His Word, right? So let's just be honest. There are some who boast about what they do. They talk a good game, but when you get right down to it, they're just not real, are they? Just not real. They speak of their love for the Lord, but you can't seem to get them to move anything but their lips when it comes to working for the king. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul wasn't like that, and neither should we be. Friend, listen. If our walk does not match our talk, The best thing we can do for the kingdom is keep our mouth shut. On down in verse number 17, he moves from his own commendation to a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Church, can you look back to that day? Can you look back to that day and remember the old things that passed away? Oh, friend, listen, I can look back in my life and I can remember that day. It was as if the stone was rolled away in my heart. And I I seen those things that once held me back. They were rolled away. The, 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 The accomplishment of Calvary accomplished in my heart something that I could not accomplish or achieve on my own. God delivered me. Old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. So Paul talks about a new creation. Then in verse number 18, watch this. We're still packaging all this up in one bundle. He says in verse number 18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This word ministry speaks of an office like that of a deacon. The word reconciliation means to exchange and carries the idea of a restoration to a divine favor. Now, I really like that because I like the idea that God can look down on a a sorry sinner such as I and be able to look at me no longer as a sinner but in His Son and I can have favor with God. Now remember, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's packaging all this up. He's packaging all, he's drawing all of it up into one big bundle. And he now, he's about to set this all in front of them and say, now then. Why has Paul piled all these things up in front of the Corinthians? Because he wants them to bear all of that in mind as he gives them their latest job description. Now hear me. Doctrinally, contextually, historically, 
The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to deal with multiple things, but mainly to deal with false apostles and false teachings that have, that have been reported to him by Titus. They've been, they've been talking bad about the Apostle. And so Paul writes to prove that his ministry was sincere and genuine and to reassert his authority as an apostle. But in verse number 17, he plainly pulls every one of us into this equation when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, all of us. Paul's talking to them. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. The goal of God's grace is to make disciples who make disciples. We are to be ambassadors. That's where he's going. Friend, you do realize tonight the only reason why you're here is due to someone else's fulfillment of the Great Commission. None of us would be here if had nobody listened to Jesus. And so we're here because someone else heard the Great Commission call and responded in faith. And so here's where we are. Friend, none of us would be saved tonight were it not for the grace of God that reached out of heaven turned the light switch on. Uh, you might suffer in this life, but the Lord will not let you go. He's going to hold on to you till the end. No matter how bad it gets, there's a better day coming. Though you die, you shall live again. And when you do, you'll stand before the King of kings and receive your reward. Now then, now then, now then, Paul says, i got something for you to do. And so that's the package. Now notice the position in verse number 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. The word ambassador, it simply means representative for Christ. But let me put you the mind, the wheels of your mind in motion right here. An ambassador today is a representative of one country living in another. Do you understand that? It's a representative of one, one country, an individual who's a representative of one country living in another. We have U.S. ambassadors all over the world. They are U.S. citizens, but they reside in a foreign country as a representative of the, of the United States government concerning earthly affairs. And so uh, an ambassador of Christ is one who has his citizenship in heaven by way of the new birth, but resides in this foreign country as a representative of God concerning eternal affairs. In fact, concerning our time here, the Apostle Peter said it like this, we are just sojourners and pilgrims passing through. As one, st- one song states, uh, one contemporary Christian song states, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Friend, I think some of us, many of us in the room can identify with that tonight. You go home and turn the TV on, you're going to see some things and you're wondering what is going on. I don't belong here. But you're here. And while you're here, You're called to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, did you know that an earthly ambassador has to be nominated by the king? Or in the case of the United States, the president? Now friend, every one of us have been nominated to be an ambassador of Christ. So we see the position. Thirdly, notice the power. Verse number 19 again says that God was in Christ reconciling the world 
to Himself. But notice now, according to verse number 20, it says, if God is in you. Do you see it? As though God were pleading through us. Why? Because it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to me. Are you saved tonight? Say amen. Amen. Are you confident in that? I hope you are, because if you're not, you should have got that settled up this morning. Brother Mike preached on eternal security. And so, if you're saved, say amen. 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 Now, if you've really been saved, you know what that old song means when he says, Oh, what a wonderful change has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And so it was the power of God that took you from the gutter of sin unto a godly saint. Yes or no? It was. It's the power of God that will one day raise you from the grave and take you unto glory. In fact, you're already there, right? Because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you'll hear me tonight, God desires that you be an ambassador for Christ because the Spirit lives in you. There will never be a problem with the power to accomplish that task. It's provided by the Spirit of God. The same spirit that lives in my heart was the same spirit that was in Christ and is the same spirit that dwells in you. It's the spirit of the Father. The Scripture says in Him, in the Father, there is no darkness at all. And thank God in Him there is no fear at all. For fear, perfect love casts out all fear. For God has not given us to a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so there's no reason to second guess or hope for the best. God is still on the throne and He has something for us to do. His is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And He can accomplish through us what He wants to do. So now fourthly, notice the pleading. The pleading. We see the package, the position... The power, but notice now the pleading. Back in verse number 18, the words ministry of reconciliation, those terms describe an office of exchange, a restoration of divine favor. We've already covered that. But verse 19 tells us what that sounds like. Notice, notice verse 19. That is that God was in Christ... reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Do you know what that word imputed means? Brother Mike told me that it was an accounting term. I did not know that. I just knew what it meant. Now understand, this word imputing means To take an inventory. Now you let that roll around in your mind just a minute. To take inventory. Do you see what he said? He said he's not imputing. He's not taking inventory of my sin anymore. Do you understand what he's saying right there, church? Friend, listen. When you come to faith in Christ, the record of your sin is erased by Calvary. 
Listen, the psalmist said that God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 38, 17 says that God said, He cast my sin behind His back. Micah 7, 19, He will again have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities. You'll cast out all our sin into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 43, 25 said, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin. Church, you don't have to walk around defeated. Thank God the victory's been won. The old casting crown song says, I start the day, the war begins, endless reminding of my sin. Time and time again, your truth is drowned out by the storm I'm in. Today I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west? You know what he says? From one scarred hand to the other. That's how far. The east is from the west. Thank God He's not counting my sin. I'm free. You're free, church, tonight. I want you to understand that. You're not bound by what you once were bound with. You've been set free. And God has something for you to do. It's time to build a kingdom focus and be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Friend, because we've been set free, we can implore others to be reconciled to God. You know what bondage feels like. You know the Egyptians, the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, they knew what bondage felt like. It could have been a great testimony to the Canaanites. It could have been a great testimony to the world. Friend, listen to me. You can be a great testimony. King James Version says it like this. As though God did beseech you by us. The word beseech, it means to call near or invite, but it carries the idea of desire. Now watch this. The rest of that verse in the King James Version version says, We pray you in Christ's steed, be ye reconciled to God. The word pray, do you know what it means? It means to request. That's what we do when we come before the Lord. We request. But listen, this word means more. It means to beg. I want you to think about what he's saying right here. You see what's happening? We know what God's desire is. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, right? If that's his desire, say amen. Amen. That is his desire. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is his desire. Friend, that's His desire. He is in us. Then why is His desire not in us? Hill Chris, why are we not begging people to come to Jesus like we once did? Why are we not begging people to come to Christ to plead with them? It must be something else that's taken the place of that desire. Friend, God's desires never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still desires that all of Lebanon would come to Christ. And He desires that all of us would go tell them. Do you know what it looks like to beg? To plead with someone? You know what it looks like. Friend, don't sit there and say, I'll not beg anymore. Paul did. 
Jesus did. As He stood and He wept over Jerusalem, He said, How long? How long have I wanted to gather you up and under the wing, my wings like a hen does her chicks? How long did He want to gather them up together? And He wanted to save every one of them. There was not a single person in Jerusalem that Jesus didn't want to save. Friend, there's not a single person in this world that He doesn't want to save. And the very fact that they would not come to Him did not stop Him from stretching His arms out wide on Calvary and showing the world the very heart of God. And friend, whether they come to Christ or not, it should not determine whether or not we go show them the heart of God. So if we really care as much about the one we say is lost, friend, why don't you allow them to see the fire in your eyes burning from a heart that's after God? Beg them to come to Jesus. The hour is urgent. There's no promise of the next breath. It would be much better for them to see the fire in your eyes than to experience the flames of hell. Now notice the promise. We see the pleading, but notice the promise. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You say, Brother Shane, I don't see the promise. That's just a statement. Yes, and a true one. It's already been done, friend. Verse 19 told us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Do you see that? That God was in Christ. Verse 19, that God was in Christ. That's past tense. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. It's already been done. The lost man just has to choose it for himself. Be reconciled to God. God's made the way. He's paved the road. Verse 21 tells us ultimately how all of it was accomplished. Notice the propitiation. Christ became our substitute. He assumed our obligations. He appeased God's wrath concerning our guilt. He covered it by the vicarious punishment of His cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That which was perfectly pure became completely defiled for one purpose, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now notice something here. Brother Mike referenced John 10 this morning, 27 and following. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, Jesus said. He then says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now Paul told us in verse 19 that it was God, God was in Christ. Right? God was in Christ. Verse 20, he tells us that as an ambassador, it's as if God is in us. And now in verse 21, Paul tells us plainly that we are in Him. Do you see, the, you see what's going on here? He's brought things full circle. God was in Christ. God was in us. It's as if God is in us. Now we have become the righteousness of God in Him. Do you understand? 
But it's not simply a circle, friend. It's a sphere. You can step out of a circle, but you can't step out of a sphere. Why? Because it fully encompasses you. That's exactly what our relationship with God is like. As we approach invitation, friend, if we as believers have all of that in our lives individually, then why are we not getting things done for God individually? Survey in your own heart and mind right now. I'm not asking you to raise any hands. Or in your own heart and mind. As a young Christian, I began to wonder if I'd ever come to a place where I could lead somebody to Christ. I mean, I really wanted to win somebody to Jesus. I just I didn't know how. I didn't feel as if I'd ever get, get to be, have the ability to move someone to that place, to making a decision for Christ. And so I began to study, I began to read the Bible, I began to pray and I gained the knowledge of the Scripture. A whole lot more I need to gain. But here's what I realized. If I'll just make myself available, God will do the rest. Church, you've got to choose to make yourself available. Listen to what Jesus said right here. John 15, 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abided in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He goes on. He says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Friend, a disciple is a fruit bearer. You say, yeah, but Brother Shane, he was talking to the twelve. The eleven at at that time, but listen. If that's your mentality, that's the problem. Because he wasn't just talking to the eleven, he's talking to us. Some things that will deter a kingdom focus and then we're an invitation. Selfish. Satisfied. Friend, if we get satisfied, we'll not have any more. We won't have to worry about growth if you're satisfied. We won't have to worry about finding teachers in a one if you're satisfied or in the youth department. We won't have to worry about that if you're satisfied. If your mentality is we can't handle them, friend, you won't have to worry about it long. God will put them somewhere else. Lazy. Legalism. Liberalism. Lustfield. Mm. Preaching to myself, friend, listen. Pride, fear, and improper priorities. As it's been stated before from this pulpit, we need to make our mind up so when the time comes to make a decision, the decision's already been made. So church, I'm asking you tonight,
to begin to have a kingdom focus. To simply be willing to make yourself available. If that means passing out a vacation Bible school flyer, then you report to Jesus and check in for duty. If it means going to Honduras, if that's a possibility for you, then by all means, get on a plane and go tomorrow. Friend, whatever that means, if it means serving in Awana, if it means serving in the nursery, if it means serving in the youth department, friend, you're going to wake up one day and at the end of your life, you're going to look back. I asked this question to teenagers today as we ate lunch. In reference to the seniors, I said this, these words. Individually, I looked at them and I said, if you could do one thing different, what would it be? The majority, I would attend more. One, I would have brought more lost friends to Jesus. Another, I would have been more confident in the Scripture that I knew. Those are teenagers. Church, we're... We've got to start working for the King. I'm not asking you to work for me. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God.